This is section four of Old Times on the Mississippi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Old Times on the Mississippi by Mark Twain. Chapter four. The Cub Pilot's Education Nearly Completed. Whosoever has done me the courtesy to read my chapters, which have preceded this, may possibly wonder that I deal so minutely with piloting as a science. It was the prime purpose of these articles, and I am not quite done yet. I wish to know, in the most patient and painstaking way, what a wonderful science it is. Ship channels are buoyed and lighted, and therefore it is a comparatively easy undertaking to learn to run them. Clearwater rivers, with gravel bottoms, change their channels very gradually, and therefore one needs to learn them but once. But piloting becomes another matter when you apply it to vast streams like the Mississippi and the Missouri, whose alluvial banks cave and change constantly, whose snags are always hunting up new quarters, whose sandbars are never at rest, whose channels are forever dodging and shirking, and whose obstructions must be confronted in all nights and all weathers without the aid of a single lighthouse or a single buoy for there is neither light nor buoy to be found anywhere in all this three or four thousand miles of villainous river. I feel justified in enlarging upon this great science for the reason that I feel sure no one has ever yet written a paragraph about it who had piloted a steamboat himself, and so had a practical knowledge of the subject. If the theme were hackneyed, I should be obliged to deal gently with the reader, but since it is wholly new, I have felt at liberty to take up a considerable degree of room with it. When I had learned the name and position of every visible feature of the river, when I had so mastered its shape that I could shut my eyes and trace it from St. Louis to New Orleans, and when I had learned to read the face of the water as one would cull the news from the morning paper, and, finally, when I had trained my dull memory to treasure up an endless array of soundings and crossing marks, and keep fast hold of them, I judged that my education was complete. So I got to tilting my cap to the side of my head, and wearing a toothpick in my mouth at the wheel. Mr. B. had his eye on these airs. One day he said, "'What is the height of that bank yonder at Burgess's?' "'How can I tell, sir? It is three-quarters of a mile away.' "'Very poor I, very poor. Take the glass.' I took the glass, and presently said, "'I can't tell. I suppose that that bank is about a foot and a half high.' "'Foot and a half. That's a six-foot bank. How high was the bank along here last trip?' "'I don't know. I never noticed.' "'You didn't. Well, you must always do it hereafter.' Why? Because you'll have to know a good many things that it tells you. For one thing, it tells you the stage of the river, tells you whether there's more water or less in the river along here than there was last trip. The leads tell me that. I rather thought I had the advantage of him there. Yes, but suppose the leads lie. The bank would tell you so. Then you'd stir those leadsmen up a bit. There was a ten-foot bank here last trip, and there's only a six-foot bank now. What does that signify? That the river is four feet higher than it was last trip. Very good. Is the river rising or falling? Rising. No, it ain't. 
i guess i am right sir yonder is some driftwood floating down the stream a rise starts the driftwood but then it keeps on floating a while after the river is done rising now the bank will tell you about this wait till you come to a place where it shelves a little now here do you see this narrow belt of fine sediment that was deposited while the water was higher you see the driftwood begins to strand too the bank helps in other ways do you see that stump on the false point aye aye sir well the water is just up to those roots of it you must make a note of that why because that means that there's seven feet in the chute of one o three but one o three is a long way up the river yet that's where the benefit of the bank comes in there is water enough in one o three now yet there may not be by the time we get there but the bank will keep us posted all along you don't run close chutes on a falling river upstream and there are precious few of them you are allowed to run at all downstream there's a law of the united states against it the river may be rising by the time we get to one o three and in that case we'll run it we are drawing uh, how much six feet aft six and a half forward well you do seem to know something but what i particularly want to know is if i have to keep up an everlasting measuring of the banks of this river twelve hundred miles month in and month out of course my emotions were too deep for words for a while presently i said and how about these chutes are there many of them i should say so i fancy we shan't run any of the river this trip as you've ever seen it run before so to speak if the river begins to rise again we'll go up behind bars that you've always seen standing out of the river high and dry like the roof of a house we'll cut across low places that you've never noticed at all right through the middle of bars that cover fifty acres of river we'll creep through cracks where you've always thought was solid land we'll dart through the woods and leave twenty-five miles of river off to one side we'll see the hind side of every island between new orleans and cairo then i've got to go to work and learn just as much more river as i already know just about twice as much more as near as you can come at it well one lives to find out i think i was a fool when i went into this business yes that is true and you are yet but you'll not be when you've learned it i never can learn it i will see that you do by and by i ventured again have i got to learn all this thing just as i know the rest of the river shapes and all and, and so i can run it at night yes and you've got to have good fair marks from one end of the river to the other that will help the bank tell you when there is water enough in each of these countless places like that stump you know when the river first begins to rise you can run half a dozen of the deepest of them when it rises a foot more you can run another dozen the next foot will add a couple of dozen and so on so you see you have to know your banks and marks to a dead moral certainty and never get them mixed for when you start through one of those cracks there's no backing out again as there is in the big river you've got to go through or stay there six months if you get caught on a falling river there are about fifty of these cracks which you can't run at all except when the river is brimful and over the banks this new lesson is a cheerful prospect cheerful enough and mind what i've just told you when you start into one of those places you got to go through they are too narrow to turn round in too crooked to back out of and the shoal water is always up at the head 
never elsewhere and the head of them is always likely to be filling up little by little so that the marks you reckon their depth by this season may not answer for next learn a new set then every year exactly cramp her up to the bar what are you standing up through the middle of the river for the next few months showed me strange things on the same day that we held the conversation above narrated we met a great rise coming down the river the whole vast face of the stream was black with drifting dead logs broken boughs and great trees that had caved in and been washed away it required the nicest steering to pick one's way through this rushing raft even in the daytime when crossing from point to point and at night the difficulty was mightily increased every now and then a huge log lying deep in the water would suddenly appear right under our bows coming head on no use to try to avoid it then we could only stop the engines and one wheel would walk over that log from one end to the other keeping up a thundering racket and careening the boat in a way that was very uncomfortable to passengers now and then we would hit one of these sunken logs a rattling bang dead in the center with a full head of steam and it would stun the boat as if she had hit a continent sometimes this log would lodge and stay right across our nose and back the mississippi up before it we would have to do a little crawfishing then to get away from the obstruction we often hit white logs in the dark for we could not see them till we were right on them but a black log is a pretty distinct object at night a white snag is an ugly customer when the daylight is gone of course on the great rise down came a swarm of prodigious timber rafts from the headwaters of the mississippi coal barges from pittsburgh little trading scows from everywhere and broad horns from posey county indiana freighted with fruit and furniture the usual term for describing it though in plain english the freight thus aggrandized was hoop-holes and pumpkins pilots bore a mortal hatred to these craft and it was returned with the usury the law required all such helpless traders to keep a light burning but it was a law that was often broken all of a sudden on a murky night a light would hop up right under our bows almost and an agonized voice with the backwoods wang to it would wail out where the you going to can't you see nothing you dash dashed ag sucking sheep stealing one-eyed son of a stuffed monkey then for an instant as we whistled by the red glare from our furnaces would reveal the scow and the form of the gesticulating orator as if under a lightning flash and in that instant our firemen and deckhands would send and receive a tempest of missiles and profanity one of our wheels would walk off with the crashing fragments of a steering oar and down the dead blackness would shut again and that flat boatman would be sure to go into new orleans and sue our boat swearing stoutly that he had a light burning all the time when in truth his gang had the lantern down below to sing and lie and drink and gamble by and no watch on deck once at night in one of those forest-bordered crevices behind an island which steamboatmen intensely describe with a phrase as dark as the inside of a cow we should have eaten up a posey county family fruit furniture and all but that they happened to be fiddling down below and we just caught the sound of the music in time to sheer off doing no serious damage unfortunately but coming so near it that we had good hopes for a moment 
these people brought up their lantern then of course and as we backed and filled to get away the precious family stood in the light of it both sexes and various ages and cursed us till everything turned blue once a coal boatman sent a bullet through our pilot-house when we borrowed a steering oar of him in a very narrow place during this big rise these small fry craft were an intolerable nuisance we were running chute after chute a new world to me and if there was a particularly cramped place in a chute we were pretty sure to meet a broad horn there and if he failed to be there we would find him in a still worse locality namely the head of the chute on the shoal water and then there would be no end of profane cordialities exchanged sometimes in the big river when we would be feeling our way cautiously along through a fog the deep hush would suddenly be broken by yells and a crammer of tin pans and all in an instant a log raft would appear vaguely through the webby veil close upon us and then we did not wait to swap knives but snatched our engine bells out by the roots and piled on all the steam we had to scramble out of the way one doesn't hit a rock or a solid log raft with a steamboat when he can get excused you will hardly believe it but many steamboat clerks always carried a large assortment of religious tracts with them in those old departed steamboating days indeed they did twenty times a day we would be cramping up around a bar while a string of these small fry rascals were drifting down into the head of the bend away above and beyond us a couple of miles now a skiff would dart away from one of them and come fighting its laborious way across the desert of water it would ease all in the shadow of our forecastle, and the panting oarman would shout gimme a paper as the skiff drifted swiftly astern the clerk would throw over a file of new orleans journals if these were picked up without comment you might notice that now a dozen other skiffs had been drifting down upon us without saying anything you understand they had been waiting to see how number one was going to fare number one making no comment all the rest would bend to their oars and come on now and as fast as they came the clerk would heave over neat bundles of religious tracts tied to shingles the amount of hard swearing which twelve packages of religious literature will command when impartially divided up among twelve raftsmen's crews who have pulled a heavy skiff two miles on a hot day to get them is simply incredible as i have said the big rise brought a new world under my vision by the time the river was over its banks we had forsaken our old paths and were hourly climbing over bars that had stood ten feet out of the water before we were shaving stumpy shores like that at the foot of madrid bend which i had always seen avoided before we were clattering through chutes like that of eighty-two where the opening at the foot was an unbroken wall of timber till our nose was almost at the very spot some of these chutes were utter solitudes the dense untouched forest overhung both banks of the crooked little crack and one could believe that human creatures had never intruded there before the swinging grapevines the grassy nooks and vistas glimpsed as we swept by the flowering creepers waving their red blossoms from the tops of dead trunks and all the spendthrift richness of the forest foliage were wasted and thrown away there the chutes were lovely places to steer in they were deep except at the head the current was gentle under the points the water was absolutely dead and the invisible bank so bluff that where the tender willow thickets projected you could bury your boat's broadside in them as you tore along 
and then you seemed fairly to fly behind other islands we found wretched little farms and wretcheder little log cabins there were crazy rail fences sticking a foot or two above the water with one or two jeans-clad chills-racked yellow-faced male miserables roosting on the top rail elbows on knees jaws in hands grinding tobacco and discharging the result at floating chips through crevices left by lost milk-teeth while the rest of the family and the few farm animals were huddled together in an empty wood-flat riding at her moorings close at hand in this flat boat the family would have to cook and eat and sleep for a lesser or greater number of days or possibly weeks until the river should fall two or three feet and let them get back to their log cabin and their chills again chills being a merciful provision of an all-wise providence to enable them to take exercise without exertion and this sort of watery camping out was a thing which these people were rather liable to be treated to a couple of times a year by the december rise out of the ohio and the june rise out of the mississippi and yet these were the kindly dispensations for they at least enabled the poor things to rise from the dead now and then and look upon life when a steamboat went by they appreciated the blessing too for they spread their mouths and eyes wide open and made the most of these occasions now what could these banished creatures find to do to keep from dying of the blues during the low water season once in one of these lovely island shoots we found our course completely bridged by a great fallen tree this will serve to show how narrow some of the shoots were the passengers had an hour's recreation in a virgin wilderness while the boat hands chopped the bridge away for there was no such thing as turning back you comprehend from cairo to baton rouge when the river is over its banks you have no particular trouble in the night for the thousand-mile wall of dense forest that guards the two banks all the way is only gapped with a farm or wood-yard opening at intervals and so you can't get out of the river much easier than you could get out of a fenced lane but from baton rouge to new orleans it is a different matter the river is more than a mile wide and very deep as much as two hundred feet in places both banks for a good deal over a hundred miles are shorn of their timber and bordered by continuous sugar plantations with only here and there a scattering sapling or row of ornamental china trees the timber is shorn off clear to the rear of the plantations from two to four miles when the first frost threatens to come the planters snatch off their crops in a hurry when they have finished grinding the cane they form the refuse of the stalks which they call bagasse into great piles and set fire to them though in other sugar countries the bagasse is used for fuel in the furnaces of the sugar mills now the piles of damp bagasse burn slowly and smoke like satan's own kitchen an embankment ten or fifteen feet high guards both banks of the mississippi all the way down that lower end of the river and this embankment is set back from the edge of the shore from ten to perhaps a hundred feet according to circumstances say thirty or forty feet is a general thing fill that whole region with an impenetrable gloom of smoke from a hundred miles of burning bagasse piles when the river is over the banks and turn a steamboat loose along there at midnight and see how she will feel and see how you will feel too you find yourself away out in the midst of a vague dim sea that is shoreless that fades out and loses itself in the murky distances for you cannot discern the thin rim of embankment 
and you are always imagining you see a straggling tree when you don't the plantations themselves are transformed by the smoke and look like a part of the sea all through your watch you are tortured with the exquisite misery of uncertainty you hope you are keeping in the river but you do not know all that you are sure about is that you are likely to be within six feet of the bank and destruction when you think you are a good half mile from shore and you are sure also that if you chance suddenly to fetch up against the embankment and topple your chimneys overboard you will have the small comfort of knowing that it is about what you were expecting to do one of the great vicksburg packets darted into a sugar plantation one night at such a time and had to stay there a week but there was no novelty about it it had often been done before i thought i had finished this number but i wish to add a curious thing while it is in my mind it is only relevant in that it is connected with piloting there used to be an excellent pilot on the river mr x who was a somnambulist it was said that if his mind was troubled about a bad piece of river he was pretty sure to get up and walk in his sleep and do strange things he was once fellow pilot for a trip or two with george e on a great new orleans passenger packet during a considerable part of the first trip george was uneasy but got over it by and by as x seemed content to stay in his bed when asleep late one night the boat was approaching helena arkansas the water was low and the crossings above the town in a very blind and tangled condition x had seen the crossing since e had and as the night was particularly drizzly sullen and dark e was considering whether he had not better have x called to assist in running the place when the door opened and x walked in now on very dark nights light is a deadly enemy to piloting you are aware if you stand in a lighted room on such a night you cannot see things in the street to any purpose but if you put out the lights and stand in the gloom you can make out objects in the street pretty well so on very dark nights pilots do not smoke they allow no fire in the pilot-house stove if there is a crack which can allow the least ray to escape they order the furnaces to be curtained with huge tarpaulins and the skylights to be closely blinded then no light whatever issues from the boat the undefinable shape that now entered the pilot-house had mr x's voice this said let me take her mr e i've seen this place since you have and it is so crooked that i reckon i can run it myself easier than i could tell you how to do it it is kind of you and i swear i am willing i haven't got another drop of perspiration left in me i have been spinning around and around the wheel like a squirrel it is so dark i can't tell which way she is swinging till she is coming around like a whirligig so e took a seat on the bench panting and breathless the black phantom assumed the wheel without saying anything steadied the waltzing steamer with a turn or two and then stood at ease coaxing her a little to this side and then to that as gently and as sweetly as if the time had been noonday when e observed this marvel of steering he wished he had not confessed he stared and wondered and finally said well i thought i knew how to steer a steamboat but that was another mistake of mine x said nothing but went serenely on with his work he rang for the leads he rang to slow down the steam he worked the boat carefully and neatly into invisible marks then stood at the center of the wheel 
and peered blandly out into the blackness fore and aft to verify his position as the leads shoaled more and more he stopped the engines entirely and the dead silence and suspense of drifting followed when the shoalest water was struck he cracked on the steam carried her handsomely over and then began to work her warily into the next system of shoal marks the same patient heedful use of leads and engines followed the boat slipped through without touching bottom and entered upon the third and last intricacy of the crossing imperceptibly she moved through the gloom crept by inches into her marks drifted tediously till the shoalest water was cried and then under a tremendous head of steam went swinging over the reef and away into deep water and safety e let his long pent breath pour out in a great relieving sigh and said that's the sweetest piece of piloting that was ever done on the mississippi river i wouldn't have believed it could be done if i hadn't seen it there was no reply and he added just hold her five minutes longer partner and let me run down and get a cup of coffee a minute later e was biting into a pie down in the texas and comforting himself with coffee just then the night watchman happened in and was about to happen out again when he noticed e and exclaimed who is at the wheel sir x dart for the pilot-house quicker than lightning the next moment both men were flying up the pilot-house companionway three steps at a jump nobody there the great steamer was whistling down the middle of the river at her own sweet will the watchman shot out of the place again e seized the wheel set an engine back with power and held his breath while the boat reluctantly swung away from a towhead which she was about to knock into the middle of the gulf of mexico by and by the watchman came back and said didn't that lunatic tell you he was asleep when he first came up here no well it was i found him walking along on top of the railings just as unconcerned as another man would walk a pavement and i put him to bed now just this minute there he was again away astern going through that sort of tight-rope deviltry the same as before well i think i'll stay by next time he has one of those fits but i hope you'll have them often you just ought to have seen him take this boat through helena crossing i never saw anything so gaudy before and if he can do such gold-leaf kid-glove diamond breastpin piloting when he's sound asleep what couldn't he do if he was dead End of chapter four